Hi, everybody. I'm Dennis Schall, founding editor of Skift, in conversation with Seth Borko, senior analyst at Skift Research. Seth and Skift Research just came out with a new, new research on OTA performance, a fact book of sorts, heading into 2022. And in the next 10 minutes or so, we'll talk, um, we'll talk quickly about some big takeaways from the report. Seth, I like that label, a fact book, just the fact. Facts, Seth, just the facts. Just the facts, Dennis. That's it. And lots of them. We, we looked at all. Uh, there's actually quite a large number of publicly traded OTAs. And so for a long time, we've been wanting to just take a look at every single one of them and kind of calculate out the same metrics. You know, how valuable are they? How much money do they make? How many travel products do they sell? What do they spend on marketing? And so we just, yeah, we, we finally went through and, and did and put a lot of these facts together uh, to kind of build up an industry, an industry overview. Great. In fact, you looked at 11 of them, a wide range of them from little ones like On the Beach or Hostel World to Airbnb, Booking.com and Expedia, Despigar's in there. So quite an array you look yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. There's quite a nice little universe of, of OTAs, even in the publicly traded space, right? You've got uh, like your regional, I like to call them regional specialists. That's like Despigar or Make My Trip, you know, Despigar's Latin American. You've got your product specialists like Airbnb that's focused on short-term rentals. Then you have got, of course, I call them like the big three and that's uh, Booking, Expedia and Trip.com, formerly C-Trip. I might slip up and call them C-Trip a bit. Right. Well, they actually just um, changed their name. They have a dual name now. They're uh, C-Trip group, group LTD and Trip.com group. Yeah. Well, you know, the name, the name change is an interesting thing. It's like, doesn't mean anything financially, but it is a bit symbolic. And so that, that trip.com change was definitely a shift to a more global perspective, right? But C-Trip is still what they are in China. So I think it, it, in a way it speaks to Chinese outbound tourists in a weird sort of way in terms of how, how international facing is the C-Trip management team, what they call themselves reveals a lot, right? Not to go off too much on a tangent, but was that because of uh, their dual listing now, they're trading in Hong Kong, or you think it was, it was more? I don't know why. I don't know why. It's just an interesting thing. I, I don't know. Okay. So to get to the heart and soul of your findings, I mean, there were, there were a lot of uh, great takeaways here. Uh, one of them, though, was Airbnb in some ways seems to have stole the show. So they performed really well. Could you talk a little bit, bit about that? Yeah, well, absolutely, Dennis. So we, we looked at, at uh, revenue, uh, the light, latest available 12 months of revenue. Uh, and we compared it to, you know, 2019, say, how are you doing in terms of the recovery? And you get a, a nice little percentage that tells you how far along you are. And Airbnb is the only public online travel agency that is fully recovered out of the 11 that we looked at. Their, their, last, 12 their last 12 months, they did 110%, give or take, of what they did in 2019. So they're up, you know, 10%, so to speak. Uh, and I think that speaks to, I call them a specialty product. It speaks to the huge strength of short-term rentals during the, the pandemic, right? And so if you look at, again, I keep the big three, you look at, you know, Trip or Booking or Expedia, they're all just about the same amount recovered. They're 60% recovered. So that's kind of your benchmark level there. Um, and everyone else is sort of below that. And so you definitely see a lot of strength out of Airbnb. And it's because they, they sell a very uh, particular product that was really the right product at the right time, I would say. So that reflects the strength of short-term rentals, but also the strength of their brand. Yes. So one aspect of, of your report of the fact book uh, was that um, 
they spend just 28% of uh, marketing on marketing, you know, on Google mostly as the percentage of revenue. So um, interesting. I, I found it really interesting. So I knew that they were leading the way, you know, in the U.S. at least regarding Google. But you also found that Trip.com Group and Despegar um, were basically it was basically a tie. They were also spending that that little amount on marketing. Yeah, it's it's without a doubt one of the most uh, important metrics to look at when you're analyzing an online travel business is effectively how do they get their customers, right? I think a lot of the times of these online travel agencies as sort of, I would use a, you know, use a $10 word, but I probably shouldn't, but you know, they're almost arbitraging how easily they're able to acquire customers versus how easily a hotel or an airline is able to acquire customers and they're earning the difference. And so it's super important to look at their marketing spend, which we looked at, and also like their direct web traffic, basically saying, how strong is their brand? And it's a huge competitive advantage to basically get traffic for free and then charge the hotels for it. Whereas if you need to pay for your traffic, that's eaten into your margin. And so, you know, historically, the big guys, Expedia and Booking, they had this kind of race to the bottom. We've, we've talked about this before, Dennis, right? This race to the bottom where they're just spending, spending, spending on Google. We, we estimate that Booking Holdings and Expedia Group are collectively two of the single largest advertisers that Google has as clients, right? right. Uh, but Airbnb only spends 28% as a percent of revenue on marketing. Expedia spends nearly 50%. So it's just, it's just a really strong brand. People know, people don't, they don't book short-term rentals. They book Airbnbs, right? That, that Kleenex effect. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's a huge advantage for them. You're totally right, by the way. Trip.com is actually doing better than Airbnb. They only spend 23% of their marketing on, of their revenue on marketing. And I think that also speaks to within China, uh, I think Trip.com is very much synonymous with travel as well. They have some really, you've run about this, these super apps, right? I mean, maybe you want to jump in here, but they've, they've got these, you know, WeChat groups and these whole web-based, app-based messaging platforms that they use. So I think that both Trip.com and Airbnb have found really unique ways, either through tech platforms or through brand recognition, or just from dominating their market. To just people think travel, they think in China, they think sea trip uh, in short-term rentals, they think Airbnb, and it's just a huge competitive advantage. I mean, I'll ask you, Dennis, do you think, do you think Airbnb can keep it up? That's, uh, that's like a huge question for the company. Do you think yeah. they could keep spending this little on marketing? That's, that's the number one question, I think. Right. You I'm interested in your opinion, but you know, so Airbnb has a great brand, no doubt about that. Uh, but I'm somewhat skeptical they can keep that up over the long term, because I think you said in your report, like, uh, you had their revenue projection, the revenue projections of the 11 uh, for 2022, and Airbnbs was at 22%. Uh, bookings was a lot higher. I don't recall the exact yeah. figure. I mean, it's just 20, that's just uh, 2022. But um, what happens when Airbnb's growth slows down, as it inevitably will? You know, they're going to have to. Yeah. Know, yeah, I mean, let, 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 let's talk about this a bit more, Dennis, but I, I totally agree that it's, it's, it's probably the single biggest kind of like existential question for Airbnb is how they continue to grow and how much they pay for that growth, right? Is that growth right. going to be as free as it's been in the past because of their brand? Um, you know, we, we, we have these like individual company profiles. And so we pick a chart kind of to, to talk a little about it. You have a company, the chart that we picked for Airbnb was showing their hosts, share of hosts versus share of bookings, right? And so Airbnb has professional listings and it's just about 10% of hosts are professionals on the Airbnb platform, but they account for 30% of 
of bookings. They way over index because they're so much better at run and generate revenue. And so the question is, if the professional hosts generate a lot more revenue and Airbnb needs to grow, are they going to rely on more professional hosts? And if they have more professional hosts, does it feel less like the Airbnb experience and feel more like, well, any other OTA, right? And so I think that's, this is the huge challenge for them. Um, I, I, I wrote a report about Airbnb and I, I, caught, I sort of talked about it as um, the analogy I used was like Mac versus PC Dennis, you know, where it's mm-hmm. like Macs have this incredible loyalty and this incredible pricing power, uh, but they have like a 5% market share because not everyone can afford them and they don't want everyone to be able to afford a Mac for that matter, right? Whereas PCs right. are everywhere. And so I think that's one of these questions that Airbnb has to solve. And by the way, they're the most valuable company in the entire travel industry, right? And so uh, it, it's, I think it's a big question. And you're, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'm rambling a bit here, but I'll just add, you were saying this, right? Book and Holdings is expected to grow like 45% in 2022 and Airbnb is expected to grow 25% in 2022. And yet, you know, despite that, Airbnb is more valuable, <laughs> is more valuable, yeah. right? The market gives them, you know, an extra, Oh, almost twenty billion dollars of market value, despite the fact that that book is going to grow twenty percent faster in twenty twenty two. So it's 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 a huge question. It's in some ways it's a little irrational, right? You know, I, I think maybe I, I might stop short of calling it fully irrational. Let's call it um, it's very optimistic. There's a lot of optimism baked into the prices. I'll let me, let's put it that way. Every you know everything's got to go right, right? There's little. Very little margin for error is what I would say. I think they get, you know, I think it's it's fair, but there's little margin for error. Right. Well, speaking of margins, so um, I mean, we're talking about marketing through Google. Um, it's not necessarily a dirty word because Booking.com, you know, markets heavily through Google, um, and they, they made a hell of a lot more profits than Airbnb did uh, in the twelve yeah. months we looked at. Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a function of their scale, right? It's a function of their scale too. Right. Because, because uh, let's, let's look at the revenue numbers. Booking does nine, 9.2 billion, billion in revenue and Airbnb did 5.3. And so even if they have, you know, they both have pretty good margins, but you have those margins dropping through on, on, on 4 billion extra dollars of revenue uh, that's a lot of EBITDA, right? <laughs> that's right. a lot of profits. And so that, that's what's happening there. So speaking, speaking of scale, I mean, that's one of the big paradoxes, right? So Airbnb, and you, you alluded to it before, made its reputation based on it was a unique experience. You know, you're going to go talk to the host and sit on the, the back patio and, and draw up plans for the day. Um, so how do they scale when it, it's built on unique experiences? But then on the other hand, you just said, well, so many of the hosts are professional and it's, you know, it's losing some of that uniqueness. Well, you know, Dennis, I, maybe I'll throw the question back at you because I don't, I, don't I don't know if there's an answer to it. I wouldn't say so, well, I want to clarify. I wouldn't say so many of the hosts are professional. There's a minority of hosts that are professional, but they do a much, much better job of generating sales. They have their, their places are available for more. There's more availability. They charge higher rates. They use more professional revenue management tools. And so one path forward for Airbnb to scale would be to embrace those professional hosts a lot more. And that might be a way to grow revenue, but 
that might have the unintended side effect of alienating their core hosts. And, you know, Brian Chesky spoke a lot during the pandemic of kind of saying, you know, really, really making them reappreciate again, renew their appreciation for their mom and pop hosts. I, I know, Dennis, you talked to a lot of mom and pop hosts. You've been in some some Facebook groups with Airbnb hosts who are not so pleased with the direction the platform is going on. What do you, what do you think? Do you think they can add professional hosts and, and maintain that balance or, or do they have to retrench? What do you think? I don't know. Um, I think it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard to maintain that balance. I mean, the t- I talked to some hosts, you know, and who knows if they're the a cross section of Airbnb hosts, but there's a lot of alienation among Airbnb hosts. Um, there's a lot of outrage over, I mean, Airbnb seems to um, delist people without explanation a lot of times. Um, hosts are pissed off right now about pet fees, um, you know, um, that you can only charge, like somebody brings four dogs and you can only charge uh, for one <laughs> plus they don't. Steph, let's look at the other end of the spectrum. You, you found that hostile world was doing fairly poorly. What, what's behind that? Yeah, I, I, I like talking about hostile world because it's to me such an overrated and like a fun little, like a hidden gem in my mind. But except the gem's got a little bit of dirt on it these days. Uh, it's, it's just, I mean, it makes sense, right? That hostels are not the most popular product today, right? It's a shared accommodation. There's not a lot of privacy. There's not a lot of space. Those are all the sort of things that drove the performance of Airbnb. And so I think, you know, if we, if we look at kind of, I, I call it like, it's, it's kind of luck in a way, right? It, you know, Airbnb got very lucky. It turns out they had the brand recognition and the product inventory in the right product for the right time. And Hostel World is the flip side of that coin where they they were focused on the exactly wrong kind of product. And so I think it's an interesting business long-term, but you can certainly understand why, why it's, it's not, not doing well. But I think it just speaks to the breadth of book insights that we've captured in our data as well, where you've got all these cool little niche players uh, that are that are surprisingly public companies with a lot of data and a lot of information out there. Right. Maybe Hostel World uh, needs to get more into short-term rentals, but then there's the name. It's kind of like cheap aware. They can go well, into some kind of luxury mode. Well, they're they're estimated to grow like 200 to 300 percent in 2022. So it's sort of a reversal. We have to keep in mind that you know Airbnb is going to there's like a base effect when Airbnb has their best year ever in 2021. It's hard to put up high growth numbers in 2022. When you have your worst year ever in 2021, it's a lot easier to put up growth in 2022. So it's sort of, in many ways, I think it's almost like a pendulum. It's about to swing back. Like maybe Airbnb is going to see stronger headwinds to growth because they front loaded so much of their growth. And maybe Hostel World has a little more pent up demand. So what's your thinking about um, back to the bigger OTAs? Yeah, let's go back. Um, you know, in, in 2021, uh, booking holdings was dethroned in terms of market cap. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you think it's best days are behind it? Booking.com? No, I don't think so. Yeah. I think that they are very strong OTA, very good management team. And, and arguably, I mean, it depends on how you count. I, I think it's funny how you count biggest in the world. Biggest by market cap is Airbnb. True. You're right. They got dethroned. Biggest by bookings is trip.com in the Chinese market. That's true. But biggest by revenue is booking.com by a lot. And biggest by profit is booking.com by a lot. So 
I think you can very much say they still have their crown where it really matters, which is the bottom line in terms of sales and profits. They, by far of their crown, they've been using the pandemic to try and expand into the U.S. And so if if they've done, they've laid good roots uh, and a good ground game, we could see that pay off as as we grow uh, into the next couple of years too. So I don't think Booking.com's time has come. If if anything, their competitors are other hotels, by the way. It's like the Marriott's of the world, not not the other OTAs. I was looking at some similar web data about uh, direct bookings or not about direct bookings, about overall uh, U.S. desktop web traffic. Okay. And uh, uh, they, they rated uh, booking doc, booking, Booking.com as the number one travel site in terms of, uh, in terms of what, uh, web traffic, which, which shocked me. I mean, I would say it's probably Airbnb which we've talked about mm-hmm. ad nauseum, but after Airbnb, it's booking, I, I think. I think they just do a great job. They run a really good website. They've been expanding well. And I think they've also, I mean, I, I don't want to be too, have too sharp of an elbow, but I think they've also avoided somewhat of the multi-branded trap. I like that they have very few brands. They have mm-hmm. Priceline, Booking, and Agoda, and you know what you get with each one, right? It's not too complicated. Yep. You can throw the kayak in there too. Well, kayaks but, in the um, meta search world, yeah, and and you know, I'm I'm just focusing on the core OTA market. Yep, I hear you. So going into the pandemic, one of the debates was who would recover, which sector would recover first, and you found that uh, the OTAs were basically leading the travel recovery. I think you said in the report uh, uh, that they were bouncing back faster than most travel sectors. Um, yeah, and you also found. Yeah. So what's, what's, what's your take on that? Is that, uh, well, we were just monitoring commissions really. And and what's happened is that, is that commissions have held relatively steady. You know, I thought that maybe you might see a decline in commissions. You know, the OTAs kind of say we need to, uh, cut fees to get more business, but they haven't kind of like have hotels or haven't cut their prices that much. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so what we're seeing a recovery in, in gross bookings pretty quick. Uh, we think by 2022, gross bookings will be almost fully recovered. Uh, and in most other industries, uh, you know, room revenue and, and, and you know, air, like airlines will certainly not be fully recovered by 2023 from a revenue basis. But gross bookings will probably be back to 2019 levels by the end of next year. And commissions have mostly held in. And so when you have a recovery of gross bookings with constant commissions, that, that's a pretty good setup for making revenue for the industry. The problem is is on the cost side where where we've seen a lot of a huge they've kind of driven themselves in this huge hole on profitability and on well revenues coming back EBITDA and, and other profits are not coming back as quickly. And so we, we will have to see the margin recovery uh, if that will be as quick. I don't think it will be as quick. That's the, the big question. Hey, Seth, I, I found this super fascinating. Uh, you know, you pointed out that uh, OTA revenue is recovering faster than most other sectors. But you said that the OTA's emphasis on price um, isn't working as well as it has in the past uh, at the current time. What, what's behind that? Yeah, we haven't seen OTAs take as much kind of market share as, as we thought they might. You know, everyone, everyone sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, we look back to what happened in like the global financial crisis or on September 11th. And the OTAs did really, really well because hotels were were desperate to fill rooms, um, uh, and and you know and people were basically it was an economic recession. 
customers were hurt in their wallets and they wanted to go to these sites that had a reputation for discounts and for the best and lowest prices. And hotels were willing to pay the commission because they needed to fill, put heads in beds, as the industry likes to say. But what happened this time around was this wasn't an economic crisis. It was a, a safety crisis, a health crisis. And so I, was, I mentioned hotels have, have maintained pricing power. ADRs and hotels are, are pretty nearly 90% recovered. Depends on the market. Depends on what kind of hotel you are. And, um, and, and by the way, OTAs don't have the same reputation for discounting as they did uh, a decade or two ago, hotels have done a really nice job of pushing direct bookings and saying that you'll find the lowest price on our hotel websites. And so what we right. saw was customers weren't as hit in their wallets. In fact, savings went up in many cases because people stopped spending. They didn't go out to eat anymore, right? They couldn't go out to eat anymore. So savings went up, hotels maintained their prices, and OTAs don't have the same reputation for discounting as they used to. And so it was, it was not quite Although they're, they're recovering quite fast, it was not quite the boon to OTAs that many thought it might have been because it wasn't quite a repeat of, of the last two crises. And so it's going to be a, the, the channel wars are coming back. I know I like that term channel wars. Yep. I think we're going to see a real a real up, real return to the battlefield of the channel wars in the coming years because the OTAs didn't win as much as they would have liked. And I think they want to win. Hmm. Uh, speaking of channel wars, you found that Consumers are going to, you know, a, a major trend in consumer preference is consumers going directly to supplier sites, in part because they want the reassurance of, you know, if something goes wrong, I could change my booking or do whatever I need to do. Uh, yeah. But you think this is short lived? Why is that? Well, this is a, this is not in our in our fact book, but this is other research we've done, and it's in our in our outlook and other publications we've put out where where we found that. You know, direct bookings went up during the pandemic, but things like phone bookings went up. People don't want to be booking on the phone in 2022, right? Uh, I think people are calling hotels because they are insecure. They're, they're worried about the experience. They're worried about health and safety. They don't trust what they find on hotel websites. They think it's out of date. And that is not a good setup for driving direct bookings in the long term. It works in the short term because people are desperate. And they really don't trust the OTAs and they barely trust your website. So they give you a call. And that looks like a direct booking. But is that, is that really a reliable direct booking that's going to come back to you in a more normalized environment? I don't think so. And so that's why I think that these, these fights for loyalty and direct bookings are only going to intensify as the years go, as, the, as the, we get into further into the recovery. So in the mobile era, uh, people are, uh, they're making phone calls. You know? Look, well, th and that's not good, right? That's, that, that's, that's a bad thing. People shouldn't be making phone calls. This is a mobile error. And, and that, that's another point that I'll, I'll bring up is that if I have a, a chain of three boutique hotels in Mexico, it's very hard for me to develop a mobile app that can reach hundreds of millions of people, whereas that is the bread and butter of what booking.com and trip.com do. And so as we move into more of a mobile era, you see more of an advantage go to OTAs and towards digital distributions or towards large hotel chains, one or the other. Right. So Seth, we've talked a while here. It's been fun. Uh, is there any other just major point or major surprise uh, that you found in your research that you'd like to point out? Um, I, I, found, I found a couple fun things. I think one, we, we sort of talked about it. I always think funny is the the disconnect between market size and, and, and the actual value uh, of revenue that they generate. Um, 
I think also it's interesting to talk about commissions and see who really makes the highest commissions. You know, Booking.com and Hostel World have some of the highest commissions in the market, whereas Trip.com mostly sells flights. And, and despite being the largest OTA by gross bookings, it actually has the lowest commission rate in the world, I think just about 5%. And so that always amuses me and intrigues me to see the difference between market cap versus bookings versus commission rates versus profit margins. You know, it's so important to look at each one of those and consider all of the, the movement pieces. I also I'll also add on a point of, of innovation. We did these individual company profiles for every single one. And one of the company profiles that stood out to me is eDreams. I don't know if you know them, Dennis. They're a European online travel agency. Sure. You know, yeah, sure. they do. They're, they're very flights focused, which is not great for commissions. But they, they launched a subscription product, which I always, we talk about that a lot here at Skipped. I think that's a, an exciting market. Uh, they launched a couple, I think in 2018, maybe 2019. Uh, they now have 1.7 million subscription members paying about $60 a year. And those members get, uh, discounts on all of their flights in many hotel stays. And now something like 40% of eDreams flight bookings are generated by their subscription members, by their 1.7 million subscription members. And so as we talk about the channel wars, as we talk about ways to drive direct traffic, you've got things like mobile apps, which we talked about. You've got things like strong brand recognition, like Airbnb. And now increasingly you have these, these people experimenting with subscriptions. Now, I don't think everyone if every OTA had a subscription, it wouldn't work because you're not going to subscribe to all of them. But I, I do think it, it's an interesting development that I noticed as we were going through. You know, eDreams is a little bit of a smaller, a little more of a niche OTA, but still some really interesting lessons that we can draw for the broader industry coming from us. Their subscription plan is growing like crazy. And Seth, we've been talking like crazy. Uh, we should probably wrap it up here. All right, let's wrap it up, Dennis. Let's, let's, it's, 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 Oh, the day, the eve before Christmas Eve. So we definitely uh, need to wrap it up. And, uh, and it's been great talking to you, Dennis. You too. OTA nerds that we are, Seth. <laughs>